0: Selfish is the the term that I use to describe making thoughtful choices about my future and how I could make it my property. You're listening to the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast with professional speaker, coach, and consultant, Nicole Greer.
1: Welcome to the Build a Vibrant Culture Podcast. My name is Nicole Greer, and they call me the Vibrant Coach. And I am here with none other than Mike Malatesta, and he lives in Wisconsin. And I want to tell you all, I used to live in Wisconsin, and you did. I loved living there. I thought it was fantastic. I lived in uh, Heartland, Wisconsin. Do you know where that is, Mike?
0: Do I know where it is? It's a few miles from where I'm sitting at the moment. Yes.
1: Oh, my gosh. And I went to Arrowhead High School. Oh, is you it did. Still yes.
0: There? Of course. It's still there. Yes. <laughs> yes OK,
1: well, I tell you what, I have the fondest memories of living in Wisconsin. I just had a ball. I lived with my cousins there and um, I loved Arrowhead High School. I was on the swim team. Oh, my gosh. I had oh, you were. Time.
0: Yeah, big ta- yeah. Big time high school. So you had to be a good athlete to be on the swim team at Arrowhead. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally loved it, and I got my driver's license in Oconomowoc. That's where I went to get my driver's yeah. license.
0: Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then uh, I live in Nashota. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but yeah, I live in Neshota, So,
1: yeah, yeah. So, you know, most people don't think. You know, when I get my vacation, I'm going to go to Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> but here's what I suggest: is that yeah. you go because it's a, it's a great absolutely place. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's
0: a wonderful place. <laughs>
1: Fantastic. All right. Well, let me tell y'all about Mike. Let me give you his little bio. And look what I have here, everybody. Here's a copy of his book. Uh, In fact, here's a copy. And then guess what I did? You got another copy right here, because I'm going to give one to a friend. It's so important to, uh, if you get something good in your hands to, you know, pay it forward. So, I'm going to totally do that. Uh, But this is Mike's book. It says, How Getting Selfish Got Me Unstuck. So first of all, the little subtitle here, I know you're curious about that. And the title is Owner Shift. So this is really a great little book. It's his story. Uh, So let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, Mike started his first business in 1992, seven months after being fired from a company he he had dreamed he might lead one day. Over the next 22 years, he helped run, lead, and grow the startup, selling it for more money than he could ever have imagined. So, if you go to Wisconsin, you could stay at his house. He's got a big house. And the creator <laughs> of How Did It Happen podcast. All right. So, check out his hat. Check out his hat. And yeah, do your hat like you that. So I'll see your hat. How Did It Happen podcast. Mike is deep into his second startup and an active early stage investor. His mission. Oh, I love people who have figured out their mission in life, Mike. You go. All right. So his mission is to help as many entrepreneurs as he can to create companies that improve people's lives and maybe the world. What a high and beautiful calling on your life. I love it. All right. So what what got you started on this book? And tell us all about owner shift. What is an owner shift?
0: Yeah, so what got me started on the book was really a desire, like many things in my life, a desire to do something that I think would be a challenge. And it took me a long time because uh, I, I I started writing, sort of writing a book, uh, you know, ten plus years ago, and and I never could really like pull together the discipline and the organization and the structure to actually get it done, Nicole, until. I had, you know, some more time after I sold my first business, and I, I just committed myself to to doing it, and and um, and I did it. Uh, so that's how it, that's how it got done. Uh, Owner shift is actually a, a, an interesting story because, you know, when you start writing a book, you might have a working title, or as you go along, you develop a working title that you think fits. And I, I did that, and when I went to as part of the publishing process, they have a you know a person who's an expert in title picking which i never never thought that i i didn't even know that was a thing right i just thought you made up a and we had a, a an hour long conversation around what i was trying to accomplish with the book and she her name was skylar she helped me by saying you know the title that you have for your book now i don't think it gets across what you're trying to Accomplished because you're talking about really making these moves along the way of your you know entrepreneurial journey. And the book talks about the four stages of the entrepreneurial journey. And we just started kicking around stuff, and all of a sudden, this word shift came into the into the uh the conversation. And I was like, shift, that's actually pretty good. And we kept working through that, working through that, and we got to owner shift. And why I love the fact that we ended up there was because. There's so much uh, attention paid now to this term called pivot right if you're in a business and it isn't working you pivot and I don't think that that's what really happens most of the time I think what happens most of the time and what happens in every story is shifting you know when you shift you actually move in a direction when you pivot you go around in a circle i mean i'm I, you know, I'm kind of literal with words sometimes. And when you pivot, you know, you, you go around in a circle because once foot stays put. When you shift, you move. And the reason that the the shift in the book is italicized is because a lot of shifts for entrepreneurs aren't voluntary. <laughs> you have to be drug. And so I wanted to put some movement into the word shift to 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 give that real sort of feeling to it that shifts are really required, but they're not easy. It's easy not to shift a lot of times, even if it makes you miserable. Uh, so that's where it, where it came
1: from. Mm, I love it. And it's also a beautiful play on words, you know, Instead of ownership owner shift. I love uh-huh. that. I think it's fantastic. So you know, send me Skylar's number. Okay. Okay. All right. So we'll get that going. All right. So I'm going to ask you, I ask everybody this question, you know, kind of out of the gate, which is, you know, what's your definition of leadership? What would you say leadership is? I think
0: it's the ability to rally people around a common purpose or goal, you know, the accomplishment of it, not, not so much rally around it, but rally around the accomplishment of it. So, you know, I, I, I guess I think that's really what it comes really what it comes down to is um rallying them around something that that they feel is important to them to accomplish as lo- as well as it being important to you.
1: Yeah, you gotta answer that, you know, that old uh thing, what's in it for me? What's in it right? for me?
0: Right, right, right.
1: Yeah. yeah. People have to kind of understand that.
0: Yeah. you know, I think a lot of people make the mistake, and I certainly have over the years. It's like, if I have a goal and it's important to me, it's got to be important to you, right? Well, no, it's not um, necessarily. I can make it important to you though. And that's what I really need to do. Because if it's important to you and it's important to me, we're probably going to get it done. If it's only important to one of us, we're probably going to struggle.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that's really what you were talking about at the beginning when you said to yourself, "I was, you know, playing with the idea of a book for ten years, and then I yes. finally committed myself. Um, I wrote that down, um, and uh, I think I think that's what we got to help people do is commit to whatever that thing is we want done, right? And then they, that's where the rallying starts to happen is when there's a sense of commitment. How does a leader, it, you know, in your mind, get people to the commitment stage? You know, you get them curious. I think the first thing you need to do is get them curious, right? Yeah. Ask me questions. Let me share what I'm doing. Let's talk about it a little bit. But then how do you, let's use keep using shift, shift them into commitment, from curious to commitment?
0: I think ultimately it's making it important to them. And then you know, if they see that there's a bigger future for them or a better future for them, helping you accomplish your goals, I think that people are going to want to do that. And if they see a, a scary future or a future that's smaller for them, uh or a future they don't believe then they probably aren't going to to be. And the thing is I at least in my experience Nicole you can't just treat everybody like they're the same. I can't you know you might I might have to talk to you differently about accomplishing the goal mm-hmm. that I'm I'm hoping to accomplish than I would have to talk to someone else. But because you're you know you're you're a complicated human being and and uh, I need to be able to craft my message to resonate with you, and the way I do that might be a little different than I have to do it with someone else.
1: Yeah, I I, I think that's totally true because um, you know I'm 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 what do they call it certified? I'm certifiable sometimes, but certified <laughs> in many uh, personality assessments. And okay. you know that's one of the major tenets that we kind of or principles that we put forward is like okay, so if you're going to go talk to Mike, what's he like? What's it like to experience him? And then you know change your approach so that Mike can hear you, right? right. Um, And then I just kind of drew a connection between this thing where you say how getting selfish got me unstuck. Right. I mean, that's exactly what we have to do with our employees is we got to tell them this is what's in it for you. This is how you'll benefit because I, I think you're kind of tongue in cheek with the word selfish. I mean, like we don't want people to be selfish, but but, but people are motivated when they see benefit to themselves. That's just human nature, right
0: Yeah you're right and I wanted to I use the word intentionally of course because
1: right I knew. because it's I, like what?
0: Yeah right it's it like, yeah. means selfish right but um, uh, but ultimately, if I don't know what what I want my future to be and how and, and how I want it to look and feel and all of those things I, how how can I possibly lead people towards that? Right, and I can't do that by consensus. I can't do that by I, the point I make in the book. I can't do that by being selfless. You know, because if I'm selfless, I'm really putting everything in front of me. And I and and if I don't know where I'm going or where I want to be or the property that I want to own or however you want to phrase that, I can be selfless all day long. It's and convince myself I'm doing great stuff, but really I'm just avoiding my responsibility as as a leader. At least that's how I looked at it, and that's why I used use of the word selfish, you know, you get, once you're selfish, you can be pretty selfless, but I, it really didn't work for me the other way. Cause I tried it for a long time and right. it ended up making me lazy, frustrated and, and unproductive.
1: Right, right. 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 And, and, and that's the story you tell in this book right here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I love the fact that you threw out the word property just a minute ago, because I actually, hold on, let me find it. I, on page 177, everybody write this down. Um, he talks about uh, five words that changed his life. And so when, when I saw that, I was like, because I love words too, Mike, you said, sometimes I'm really literal about it. You know, the pivot yep. versus the shift. Uh, mm-hmm. I totally see the pivot and the shift difference. I see it. So you're not crazy. Uh, but he said, these five words, did I get the five words right? Yeah, my those are the five is words. my property. Is that the five words? My future yeah. is my property?
0: My future okay, is my property.
1: So when I read that, I was like, oh, if only everybody understood that Like, the future is right there. It's yours. You can build on it however you want. You can put energy into it any way you want and create something fantastic instead of this thing that people do, Mike, which is let it unfold. Maybe. Yeah. So talk a little bit about my future is my property on page 177, since you just dropped that in there and I had read that in here.
0: Yeah. I just, so I, I was coming out of this place that I call the Valley of uncertainty in in the book, and we can go into that if you want to, but.
1: I do. I want to go into that.
0: So I was coming out of that and I was making some progress and I was making some breakthroughs and I was driving along, listening to a CD that a guy named Dan Sullivan uh, put out. And he's talking about being at a, a high school reunion and he's gone, you know, just rambling about this and sort of how he's, he's in his like late sixties late at the time. So, you know, people were winding down and he was still winding up. And he said um on that CD, he said, you know, he said, but you know what I was thinking about is my future is my property it's not my parents, it's not my siblings, it's not my classmates, it's not my, it's nobody else's, it's me. And when I heard that, which I'd never heard before, Nicole, it was like one of those baseball bat moments to the head, you know, where I've had plenty of those where I was just like, what did he just say? Because at the time, my mind was looking for for something, but it didn't know what it was. But my eyes and ears were open to, you know, receptivity. And he said that, and I was like, that, that's it. Because at the time I was in stage three, I was in the break stage that I describe in the book. And, and when you're in the break stage, you really are not looking at a future that is better and bigger than your present because you've been so worn down by the grind and by selflessness and by other things that You are thinking, I cannot continue to go on like this because it's just going to be more of the same. And you forget about thinking that it could be different, that it could be better, that it could be, you you could imagine it to be something that's so unimaginable right now, given your current situation. And then by having that, start working toward it. It was like, you know, just a, I felt like I wanted to pull over. That's how much it struck me. And then I, and so I've been sort of using that for myself ever since my future is my property. I have to pay for it. I have to, well, I have to know what it is. I have to pay for it and I own it. And people say, well, you can't predict the future and all this stuff. And I say, yeah, well, I can't, there's a lot about the future. I can't, I can't predict, but there's a lot about it that I can influence. And that's what I mean by this. And yeah, I think just so, so at least this was me. I think it's, I think it's many people, you know, you saw, you see the future as being the same as the past and it's just like, oh, here's another day and here's another day. And it's just not going to be any different. And I want entrepreneurs to think big and I want them to keep, you know, pushing through breakthroughs, but so many of us, me included, get worn down. And then the future just seems like you don't want it you know, you want out, you don't want to, you don't want a future of more. So it was a really, really big thing for me. My future is my property.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. So Dan Sullivan, you need to go on to, uh, you know, your Apple podcasts or whatever, wherever it is you do your podcast listening. You definitely need to listen to Dan. He's got several. Uh, And then also don't miss this, that Mike Malatesta has his which is how did it happen? All right. So go in, get those subscribed, you guys. It'll it will pay dividends, I promise. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, let's let's do the four stages. Okay. So first of all, it's yeah. the four stages that entrepreneurs go through. Did I get that right or correct me? You're welcome to yeah, correct me. So I
0: I separate the, the book into four parts, and I think it describes most of what's at least for me been the typical entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah. And I just wanted to be very clear, though, for the listeners is so like if you think to yourself, well, I have a a job. I'm not an entrepreneur. I want to be very clear right now that even if you work inside of an organization and you don't you don't own it, you're not the original entrepreneur. Entrepreneurial experience exists inside of organizations and you can have an entrepreneurial mindset. So I just want to be very clear before you think, well, I have this J.O.B. over here. Uh, I think what Mike's about to talk to, we go through it in our careers as well. Okay, right. so uh, I think it's really important. So I just didn't want anybody to kind of tune out right there. Uh, what don't you see the entrepreneurial spirit needing being needed so desperately in corporate America?
0: Uh, yeah, I do, and I, and I and I and I'm glad you brought that up because I also see you know people that have jobs. There's they have futures that they need to make their property as well. That so that is not something that's unique and germane and you know are only applies to entrepreneurs that applies to everybody
1: hundred percent so i just wanted everybody to understand he's going to talk about in entrepreneurial terms but that's what we need in every business is this entrepreneurial mindset and yeah. you go through these stages all right cool we're all on the same page all right so talk about part one the dream like i mean like yeah. when you get a new job you have a dream or when you start a business you have a dream
0: yeah so I, I and we'll go through each of them and we'll relate them to both both sides because in the entrepreneurial, on the entrepreneurial side, the dream is when, you know, you come up with your idea, you know, if you write a business plan, you write a business plan, you get funded and you get started. And you think that your idea is the best idea that there ever was. And you think that there is zero chance that it's not going to be a hundred percent successful. And you, everything that happens to you, During in that dream stage is good, like everything everything is good. Every problem is good. Every win is good because you you are just so optimistic uh, and just so engaged and and all in. And the same thing happens when you get a new job, right? He's like, uh, you know, because you you had a job, you you know maybe something you didn't like there. You got a new. You know, a new opportunity. You're interviewing. You're really connecting with the people, and then they make you an offer, and it's a great offer, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm in, man." And then you get in there, and everybody's so nice to you, and yeah, you're like, "Oh, I made a great choice. I, um, this is going to work, right?" And then stage two, on both, I call the grind stage. So from the entrepreneurial standpoint, the grind stage is everything that I got into this business to do that I loved. I'm doing less of now because there are all these other things that need to be done that I never thought about or that were cool the first couple of times they happened, but now they just drive me crazy. And, but I'm not changing because I've, I've worked my way through these. I've, you know, I've ground through all of these things. I'm not changing. I can do it. I just do it. And
1: right. Just more effort, more time. Stay Stay up later. Get up later.
0: And, And from an employee standpoint, it's the same thing, right? You're like, everybody's nice to me, but oh, now I'm starting to see different personalities. Oh, now I'm starting to see silos inside the business. Oh, now, you know, I really don't like when that person sends me an email and it's written the way that they write it, or, you know, on and on and on. And all of a sudden, you're starting to think to yourself, did I make a good choice here? am I really excited about this anymore? You know, all the things that I thought were cool when I came in here, they're not all as cool anymore. That's natural, that's natural, right? So, So part three in the book or stage three is called break. And for an entrepreneur, that's when the weight of the grind has just become so heavy that you just don't wanna do anything anymore. I mean, you'll come to work and you'll, you know, Maybe people on the outside won't even be able to tell, but on the inside, you're just not dreaming anymore. You're not dreaming anymore. And in fact, you're just getting all the, you know, you're just getting, you're frustrated to the point that you're like, I should just quit. I should turn back. I should expire. I should get smaller because I'll have less problem. You know, you start think, talking yourself into all of these things. But what you're not doing is looking towards your future anymore. You're just measuring everything against the past or how you're feeling in the present. And from an employee standpoint, same thing. It's like that's when you get to the point and you're like, I need to get another job, or can I really stay here the rest of my life? Or you know, can I go knock on someone's door and they're going to like change the situation for me? Because as an entrepreneur, like when you're in that break stage, sometimes you're like, Hello, is there someone out here who could help me? I'm not really. I, I don't really want help. I just want you to save me. <laughs> I don't really want to do any work or anything that. So so that's kind of that that stage and then breakthrough is when you decide choose to have a future that you're going to make your property again something similar to what you had in the dream stage although you know now your future is going to be much different probably than what you were imagining in the in the dream stage and that's the point where you you get the energy back and you get a system around you that'll support you continuing to make Breakthroughs and continuing to go big, and for from an employee standpoint, a breakthrough might be, you know, having that conversation with a boss or getting a new boss or supervisor or getting a transfer or taking some new, taking on some new challenge as opposed to waiting for things to come to you and they're not coming to you. You know, raising your hand and saying I, I'm the perfect person to do this, even if I'm not qualified to do it because I'm willing to. Yeah no I'm willing to take the chance and I want a future that's different than what I've got right now and I don't want the rest of my career working here to be to to feel like I feel right now.
1: Yeah, I love these four stages and you know I'm an entrepreneur. I am, I am with you. I have been in all four of them. Uh, so I want to go back to the dream stage for just a second. So, you know, you had this big dream, you were optimistic. You're not saying it's not good to be optimistic, but oh, no. it's really good to also be a realist. A realist. So in the dream stage, what things were you doing as a leader of your entrepreneurial, you know, vision? That really served you. And then what were the things that you didn't know any better and they were not serving you? Can you kind of you know tease those out for us? So we can kind of see maybe behaviors or skills or attitudes, stuff that we need to be careful about yeah. in the dream stage.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, it was in the early stages of the dream stage, Nicole, everything was cool, as I said. And I wanted to do everything and touch everything and participate in everything because I was trying to find, you know, I was I was very young and I was trying to find I'd never had a business before or been in this situation. So I was trying to find like where am I where is my fit? You know, how can I contribute the most? And so my way of doing that was just contributing in in any way that I could. You know, ultimately it turned out that there were certain things that I could do that no one else could do. And again, I'll get back to, you know, in the dream, there was only two of us at the beginning of the dream. And there was probably less than 10 before the dream transferred into grind. So it wasn't like years of dream. It was, you know, a a relatively short period of time. But I, it took me a really long time to learn where, well, it took, it it really all took to, I was, I was successful, but it really took till I was, you know, got selfish that, for me to really figure out what I needed to do to move the business at the stage that it was and at the size that it was, you know, I, I guess I was skilled enough to be able to do many, many things at a moderate level for a long time. And it never seemed like I was completely faking it or anything, but what I was in, what I alluded to earlier was that I, it made me lazy because I was no longer I was you know because you can get really busy doing all kinds of things and i just was get so lazy not sitting around doing nothing i was busy but i was so lazy with my thinking about how to what how to really move the needle so ultimately for me it was and this took many many years so i'm trying to i'm trying to short circuit that with like with the books you know to encourage people to shift earlier and see things earlier and put things in place earlier than i ever did But ultimately, you know, I was a culture person. I was, you know, the the person who could see the future a little bit before other people because I knew what I wanted it to be. And I could I did a good job. I could do a good job of rallying people around a common the accomplishment of a common purpose or goal, uh, as I described my my definition of leadership earlier.
1: Yeah, and, and I love what you're saying, and, and I'm going to boil it down. Uh, I, I think what he's saying is that if he had been more discerning earlier on, um, and I, I I think that you said I could do many different things to a certain level of competency. I don't know if you said exactly like that, mm-hmm. but um, one of the concepts that both Mike and I, I bet Mike's learned this from Dan Sullivan's work, too, is that you have a unique ability Right. You have something that you do so fantastically. And if you did that most of the time, you would be much more happy and probably more successful, both in if you are having a career or if you're being entrepreneurial. That's one thing that I would say. So everybody Google unique ability, do that, write that mm-hmm. down, everybody. And then the other thing that I said that I thought was so good, as you said, uh, I would do anything that I could. And God, when you said that, I was like, oh, I can remember doing that in my career. Like people be like, Nicole, can you do this? I'd be like, yeah, I can do it. And then, you know, on Saturday I'd be doing it. And I'm like, nobody else is working today. (laughs) You know, I'd get like all indignant about it. And it's like, wait a minute, I said I would do it. And here I am, you know, plus other things on my plate. Um, But, you know, I had people, Mike, when I was in my career, and then this, this is also true in my entrepreneurial endeavor, is that, you know, is that some people know how to say no to things and not try to be all things to all people and do all things possible. Just do the thing you're really good at. Right.
0: Another component of the, you know, the selfish exercise is knowing what, what you will say yes to and what you won't, you know, won't say yes to. That was a big shift for me when I got there, because I always thought that saying yes to everything was how you, that's, that's how you won. And that's how you kept score and that's how you valued that's how you were valued. I thought that was the natural way for things to work. And you say yes too much. And all of a sudden, you know, not only are you working on that Saturday, but you're bitter about it, even though you said yes to it. And yeah, we, we, that's, that's grind. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And, and so let me tell you what he told you. He said, I got lazy in my thinking." And I think when he went to, you know, the breaking out stage, which is stage four, I skipped over one, but, you know, that's when he really got started thinking differently. My future is my property. So I just wanted to connect that. And then the other thing he says, if I gave anybody any advice, shift earlier, shift more often. Okay. So everybody write that down. Shift earlier, shift more. Where can I shift? Okay. So that is the question you're going to kind of live into till the next podcast. All right. So, so that is the dream. Okay. So then you hit the grind. And you're saying yes to everything and trying to do all things. Okay. Tell me a little bit. And I think everybody hears the word grind. And they're like, uh, if you've ever driven a stick shift, which I did drive the Carmen Ghia in Heartland, Wisconsin. Okay. Oh, nice. And I- yeah but when daddy tried to teach me i was like
0: takes a while
1: <laughs> i yeah, could not, yeah. yeah i could i you know it takes a while to get the clutch going and get the shifting working i mean it's a thing right so uh i think people understand the grind because i grinded the grinded uh the Carmen gear while i was trying to shift it into second
0: <laughs> yeah for, so you want me to talk about the grind i do yeah so um the grind is you know again whether it's entrepreneur or whether it's an employee the grind is just the the culmination of well at least for me the culmination of of doing whatever you think it takes or whatever you think you should or whatever comes your way without a real purpose in doing it so it's the grind comes from tasks instead of coming from purpose i guess and and there, there's always going to be grind, right? There's always going to be grind. There's always going to be things that you don't necessarily love doing. Even There's there's always going to be times you can't be working in your unique ability. But the shifting part for me was, okay, as soon as you start to feel that, do something about it. Don't. Oh, that's the shifting early part. Right. Yeah. As soon as you start to see something or feel something, do something about it. That's not what I did for for a long time. I just... Like we talked about earlier, it's like, well, I just have to do more. I just have to, I was just not shifting correctly. And I wasn't um, really even having conversations about it. I was internalizing all of it and thinking that someday it would be different. And that someday came, but not really, uh, not nearly as soon as it could have. And that's what I, that's, that's what I, that's what I want people to, to work toward is shifting sooner.
1: Yeah, because once you get it in gear, you do get to go faster. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what happens when you go from first to second to third to fourth. And if you're lucky enough to have a fifth gear, you are yeah. making it happen, right?
0: That's a great point. When you're grinding, you aren't going anywhere. You're just making a lot of noise. And it's and it's like a eh, bad noise.
1: It's, oh, yeah. And, and And the person in the passenger seat is looking at you like, what are you doing? What are you yeah. doing? There's a uh, panic. That's and my that's transmission
0: there, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. And so your employees are like, "What are you doing?" The guy right. in charge is just grinding the gears, right? So really important stuff. Oh, I love your metaphor. It's awesome. Okay. All right. Um. So then you finally got. Uh, well, oh wait, hold on. I, I don't want to miss this. So earlier you mentioned the valley, yeah. and it's another little metaphor. So will you talk about the valley for a minute? And like, yeah, about, I will. Okay. I will.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I, I um. Before I do that, though, I do want to mention I have a chapter in the book that's called Big Boy Transmissions and it's about it's not about driving a big uh, garbage truck but but it is about driving a big garbage truck. so there you go. So the valley, the value of uncertainty. So that's a place where i I ended up there after my partner Butch, who I'd started the business with died in a fire um, or as a result of a fire that happened at one of our uh, facilities. So, and it was about 11 years in, and we had had a number of other things happen. We had another death, we had, we had, um, you know, legal problems, and then Butch, um, you know, passed away. And I thought I felt responsible, even though I wasn't there, I felt responsible for all of those things. And really, the feeling of being personally responsible for everything, Nicole, was a big part of grind as well. And when that happened, you know, I just dropped into this place where that I call the value of uncertainty. And I describe as a, you know, just a deep pit where you can see the world, but you don't know or feel like getting out of it because you have, you're just so uncertain about what to do. And. For me, it was like a plate. When I was in the Valley, I thought to myself, why am I here? Whose fault is it? Who can I blame? You know, I had all of these thoughts that weren't around about me. (laughs) You know, They were, who can reach in here and grab me and take me out of here and, you know, dust me off and show me what I should be doing. Um, Right.
1: But there, there is no night on a white horse coming.
0: There is no, nobody does that. No, (laughs) they they don't do that.
1: No, it is not out
0: there. Yeah, Yeah, so that's so so that's what it is, and then so and and everyone can relate to that. I think they may call it something else, or they might describe it differently, but it's a place where you know you are in real trouble, especially when it comes to what you know thinking that you have uh, a future that's bigger than your than your past. So yeah, that's that's how I describe the
1: valley. Yeah. That's awesome, yeah, and and I think that you know um, the valley may not just come once. It it, it could even come, oh, yeah, after, yeah. You know, you 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 might get a different valley down the road, right? Um, yeah. But again, I want to go back to what you said, which I think is so great. I, I wrote it down. I'm going to make a sign and hang it on the wall. Shift earlier the minute you yeah. start to feel something, do something. And just real quick, if I, if you'll humor me, Mike, um, I uh, got some training about how the physical body and what we're thinking, you know, like everything that we're thinking that the body has a reaction to it. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas, like in the 1200s wrote down if you uh, think something in your mind, your body has a physical reaction to it, you know? And he was just saying that happens, but now the science proves it's true. Okay. And when you're in that valley, um, you're releasing all sorts of negative neuropeptides, you know, like cortisol, all sorts of tests, you know, testosterone, all sorts of things are going through your body. And it, you are getting, you're marinating, like in really bad stuff. And that's when you lose hope and you feel, uh desperate, and you wish somebody would just pluck you out that you can't do it yourself because you are literally uh, soaking in bad juju is how I like to say it you yeah, know but yeah. if i but if I shift and I get a better thought. You know, I'm not lazy in my thinking, like you said. I get a new thought, then I might get a little, uh, a different neuropeptide, some serotonin or something. And then I start marinating good stuff, and then I can get out of the valley. Right. So I just wanted to share that. It's chemical. I like how you put
0: that. Yeah. 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 I think you're right.
1: Yeah. I think you're right. So I think that's important. Okay. Well, then you get to part three. Uh, which is the break and and so in his book there's only three little chapters in this part um but the four fallacies i right, that yeah. you discovered so these are like four things that you found out were false that you thought were true am i right
0: yeah there was there were four stories that i was telling myself all the time that i thought was you know i thought they were the truth stories but they were it turns out that they were just stories and you know the brain's got a great way of Deciding whether a story is true or false, but it's still just a story, <laughs> you know. So you can change it.
1: That's exactly right. And the first one you had in here was, uh, and you've said this before, but let's say it again in order, because in case anybody's yeah. taking notes. But it's like I believed that I could handle anything that came my way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, like, so why is that a fallacy? Talk about that a minute.
0: Well, because it ended up, you know, I ended up in the valley because of that. You know, I I could handle a lot. Nicole, but um, but I couldn't I couldn't handle everything, and there was no reason for me to. I guess that was one of the biggest things, right? It's like, why did I feel like I needed to do that? Was it to prove that I could, or was it because I didn't have people that could do it, which wasn't the case, Um, or was I trying to be the hero? You know, was it just me, sort of convincing myself that that gave me status? You know, but whatever it was, it wasn't true. Uh, or what certainly wasn't the truth that i now wanted to tell when i was you know at this stage but it it is the truth that i had been telling myself
1: yeah. You, you, we don't live on an island. We need help. Uh, you know, you, you, if you're in the career place, you do need the people around you to help you. You don't know everything. You need to borrow some genius from some other folks. And if you're an entrepreneur, you got to find people to to help you on the way. Uh, the second fallacy you said, and I put uh, a number two, is I was responsible for everything that was happening to me. Talk about that one a little bit.
0: Yeah. I kind of alluded to that earlier, you know, this, per, you know, taking personal feeling like you are responsible is a very personal thing and it's very it can weigh on you a lot and i talk about this this sort of mind shift that i made when i recognized how i was thinking about that and it occurred to me that i wasn't responsible for everything that happened i wasn't even there when when butch was burned i I wasn't even there but i did i did have responsibility for everything that happened and now some people might say well that's just semantics and maybe it is but personal being responsible i can only be responsible for me that's the only person in the world i can actually be responsible for but i have a responsibility to a whole lot of people So if I could just compartmentalize it, like this isn't, so this happened, that doesn't mean that I'm, it's, it's, so I thought it defined me, you know, that being, by being personally responsible, It, 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 it doesn't, it's just a part, another part of a thing that I'm, that I have the responsibility for. And so when I, when I made that, that shift, it just changed me. It just no longer made it feel like the weight of everything was my fault it was something i had to deal with so i couldn't get away from that but it wasn't my fault it wasn't a part of me it was just a thing that needed to be handled
1: yeah absolutely you know and and the thing is is that when we do hire people when we were talking really at the beginning of this podcast and we say you know rally around this endeavor with me but make a commitment. That's where other people take on respons- responsibility, right? So mm-hmm. it isn't all me. I'm asking you to join me, and people make a conscious decision to come onto the team or be part of the mission or whatever. And so we're all responsible. Um, so it just doesn't, you know, fall completely on the entrepreneur. All right. So then the Good next point. one that you have in here is I question whether it was possible for my future to be different. And you've already stated that, you know, that yep. little little phrase from Dan woke you up. Um, but a lot of people, I think, get in that place like that. This is the way it is. I just need to suck it up, you know, buttercup kind of thing.
0: A lot of people, I'd say most people. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, and 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 I was the same way. And I just, you know, Got to shift. (laughs) There's no reason that your future can't be your property, and so yeah, we've been through that, and uh, yeah, that's that's a big one. That's that was definitely a fallacy.
1: Yep. And then the fourth one was isolation. So talk to me a little bit about isolation.
0: Yeah. So I I think a lot of people have this, but whether you're and whether you're an entrepreneur or employee, I I I built these sort of mental walls around me. And they were called my company, and I was the the king of the company, right? Yeah. And and everything that I, I thought that everything I needed was inside the walls, right? I got all the care and sustenance I needed from inside the, the walls, inside of my company. But what it, what ended up happening for me is that while I was thinking that and believing that, I kept building the walls higher and deeper, so. And i didn't think i needed anything on the outside of the walls and then when i fell into the valley and i was like oh man i was like so i maybe i do need something outside of the walls right but they were so high and so deep that i was very i was challenged by how to get through them and get past them and get over them or under them or whatever needed to be done or dismantle them so you know i i just i was i was wrong about these walls. I I didn't need any walls around me. What I needed was what I needed. And it wasn't all inside of the company like I thought it was and would be forever.
1: Yeah. And and that's when you 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 start reaching out, you start getting involved in other groups, asking other entrepreneurs or other people who do what you do, get inside an association. How did you move up? What you guys doing differently? What's a best practice? Right. Instead of, like you say, being the king of the company or whatever, you know, the king, you know, he should have advisors from afar that come in and help
0: him. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. You're exactly right. And, and yes. um, And, and, and on top of that, just understand how other people think about and approach things that I've been, that i that I've been thinking, I know how to approach and think about, right. I know how to do all of those things, but, and I wasn't. So that was another another thing there were lots of things that came after i sort of understood that that was a foul that isolation or wall building or whatever was a fallacy
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. All right. So he moves through that. um, And then he gets to the point where he is breaking out. Okay. So he does get out of the walls of the kingdom. All right. And so the first uh, chapter in breaking out is all about making choices. And I got to tell you, Mike, one of the things I talk to people about all the time in coaching sessions, whether it's about their business or it's personally, uh, people don't think they have any choices. In fact, they'll say something like, I don't know. I don't have a choice, Nicole. Right. And I'm like, "Oh yeah, you do. <laughs> There's so many choices so tell, talk a little bit about that's how you open up the this really important fourth fourth part of the book, making choices. yeah, tell me what choices you've made and leaders need to really examine
0: so in that in that chapter i I go through this again, it's a uh it's a synthesized level, but it's also a very powerful mind shift level or sh- mind shift um change as well, because I had been going through my career making a lot of decisions and very few choices. You know, decisions are things that are sort of quick and off the cuff and reactive and and all of these things. And I was making those all the time because, you know, you have to, it sort of comes with the territory. But what I wasn't making was deliberate Choices, many deliberate choices. And I see the two as being very different. Like a decision is that way. A choice is a, something that is well thought out. Its choice is very intentional. A choice is proactive rather than reactive. And I noted, I, I, I discovered and acknowledged that I wasn't making very many choices. I wasn't choosing my future. I wasn't choosing the people I wanted to be around the best way. I wasn't choosing what I wanted. I wasn't, you know, there were all these choices that I wasn't making, but boy, could I make a decision. And so that's, that's, it was a real difference for me. Like I, you know, choose to get selfish, for example, that was a big one, right? I didn't decide to be selfish. I chose to be selfish and I had a reason for that choice, you know? So that's what, that's what that's, that is what that's about. And I think if people think about Decisions and choices that way, and not as the same thing. It's it's helpful because it you know it's a switch. Like, is this thing coming at me something that requires a decision, or does it require a choice? Because if it requires a decision, then I need to make it quickly because people are expect that they're counting on that. If it's a choice, then I can sit on that for a little while and I can really think about that and choose. Yeah, and um,
1: you know the word uh, decision. Um, and uh, the word incision are related, right? So it's, mm. you know, if I make a decision, I'm like cutting this thing out. And all I'm left with is this thing over here. You know, like I'm cutting that off. Oh, cutting right, out, yeah. Elimination. You know?
0: Right, right. Yeah. Right. Uh,
1: but but choices um, really require like a lot of discernment. You know, like there's a, a lot of, again, don't, I, I got, I let my thinking get lazy, he said. And, and so now don't miss this. Choices take a lot more thinking, a lot more reflection. And it's been said, it's been researched, uh, leaders need to be reflective. They need to be great thinkers, right, Mike?
0: Yes, for sure. Even if you're not the smartest person, which I'm not, you still need to be a good thinker. Yes.
1: Yeah. And 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 be purposeful about it. Um, in fact, this morning in my quiet time, I was reading uh, the work of Sarah Ben-Bretnick ben and she said, you know, uh, I write all day for a living. And then to think to myself that, you know, I would write a journal. I mean, I, I don't need to have a journal because I write all day. But uh, what she realized and what she was saying is that um, I need to really think about my life. I need to think about what's going on you know, not to, not to do something to perform. And I think that decision thing is yes or no. Well, let's do this. Let's execute. You know, right. it's a performance thing versus choice is a thinking thing. Yeah. And then there'll be decisions afterwards. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and, and it's, you know, a lot of people, including me, we, I ascribed, I ascribed uh, uh, value to how quickly I could make a decision. Right.
1: Yeah. Because Look how smart I am. I am right.
0: Right. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay. So so I want to ask you two more questions. I, I've had you, on the, okay. had you on the line here a long time. You're such a good sport with me. So talk a little bit more and to be very clear with people. Let's be real plain because semantics do matter. When you say, I decided to get selfish, and again, don't miss this, everybody, his book is Ownership, How Getting Selfish Got Me Unstuck. So I want you to talk a little bit about selfish so everybody's perfectly clear what you mean, because I don't want anybody going, I was listening to this podcast. This guy was telling me to be selfish.
0: Yeah.
1: Listen, well, people, he's going to explain.
0: I'm going to explain. So selfish is the, the term that I use to describe making thoughtful choices about my future and how I could make it my property. Mm. Selfish is not about being a jerk. Selfish is not about pounding my chest. Selfish is not about putting other people down. Selfish is not about status. Selfish for me is just a way that resonates for me as, as being different than selfless or servant that you hear a lot. It's not that I don't want to be selfless or servant. It's that I can't be selfless or servant well until I'm selfish. So that's about as clear of a definition as I can provide to that.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to add just a little quick story. If you'll humor me, would that be yeah. okay, Mike? Sure. Yeah. So I got this little story uh, from my mentor, Ann Sturette, and it's called The Lighthouse Keeper. And And if anybody on here wants this little reading, I'd be glad to send it to you. But um, here's how the story goes, that the, the lighthouse keeper was on a rocky coast and he got a certain amount of oil every month to keep the light on at the lighthouse. But people came and knocked on the door and said, um, you know, we're freezing over here. Can I have just a little bit of oil? And so the lighthouse keeper gave them a little bit of oil so they wouldn't freeze over here. Then somebody came and said, you know, I I have the machine doesn't work and the machine serves all these people. Can I have a little bit of oil to, you know, get my machine to work? And so he gives a little bit of oil and he gets all these little requests for all these things. And then at the end of the month, He runs out of oil and the light goes out. And when Mm -hmm. the light goes out, many, many ships crash into the rocky shore. So hope you get the story. But the story is like the lighthouse keeper needed to say, I'm sorry, I only have so much oil. And here's what I'm doing. Here's my purpose. Here's what my choice I've made. I've made a choice to keep the light on, not to get make you all happy out here, even though they had legitimate needs. Right. So I think that's maybe that that helps people see what you mean by selfish.
0: Oh, that's a nice story. I hadn't heard that one.
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, keep the lights on, people. That's the whole point. All right. Fantastic. All right. Well, there's somebody that's on this uh, podcast listening going, really? I can be selfish? Fantastic. I love that. Okay. And they're going to keep the light on. All right. And they're going to shift sooner. They're going to stop being lazy in their thinking. They're going to move through the four stages. Um, Can you just drop us one more nugget for that one special listener who's going, give me one more, Mike. Give me one more goodie. What would you give them?
0: So for me, I, I guess I would say I have um, the last chapter of the book is called Eraser Dust, and I tell a little story about how uh, when I was in grade school, I went to a Catholic grade school, and and we still had regular chalkboards at that time. So every day at the end of the at the end of school, a teacher would select people to take the the erasers, and erase all the stuff from the boards, and then go outside and clap them to remove all the all the eraser chalk from the erasers. And I love doing that. And when, when you get selected for that, it was like a big deal. And we would go out and we clap the heck out of these erasers and we would clap them on each other, you know, to, you know, get everybody's uniform. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and then, (laughs) but, and on all that eraser dust would just, you know, sort of fly off and it would end up somewhere else. It would be gone from the erasers, but it would still be you know, it would still land somewhere. And the point of that is you can never change something that's happened. It's always going to be alive, but you can remove it from what you are thinking about and working on because you can't do anything to change it. And so, you know, keeping up with my sort of shift um, theme here, your past is never something that you have to say, my, you know, I can't have a different future because I have this past, you know, think about if you, if you're thinking about that, just clap some erasers, let that go. You're not saying it didn't happen and you're not saying it's not out there, but it's not affecting me anymore because I've got clean erasers. I can go learn new lessons now. And those are what I'm going to be paying attention to and not you know, not this dust or this, you know, mind trash or this regret or, you know, fallacies and all the other things that we've talked about, Nicole.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. And so I love that. Uh, So my, my mother was a teacher and um, I, I got to do the um, I didn't get to go outside and bang them around, but I, I did have to wash you know, she okay. had a, a, yeah. with a rag, um, but I don't know. I just I really resonate with your story because I got a visceral reaction to that. As a small child, I did the same thing. I had to do the do the chalkboard. You nice. folks with these white erase boards, you have no idea. Anyway, yeah. so right. we're dating ourselves. Oh, I hate when that happens. All right. So, hey, everybody, I want you to get a copy of this book. And so Mike tells where we can get a copy of this book. It's called Owner Shift. Don't miss that How yeah. getting selfish got me unstuck. Where can we get the book?
0: You can get the book on my website. Uh, Mike Malatesta, malatest com. You can also get, you can buy it there. You can get a free chapter there if you'd like to, to Ooh. check it out. Uh, and while you're there, you can also find out about my podcast, how that happened. Uh, you can find out about my podcast, um, me, uh, you can find, I've got a blog there that you can read. You can subscribe to my newsletter. Um, you can connect with me. You can check out my uh, coaching program, Ownership Coaching for High Level Entrepreneurs. And if you don't want to do all that, you can buy the book on Amazon. <laughs>
1: Ah, There you go. There you go. But I'd go get the freebies if I were all y'all. That's how we talk down here in Concord now. I didn't used to, I used to say you guys when I lived in Wisconsin. (laughs) Wisconsin, yeah. I say, oh, y'all, that's what I do now. All right. You can also find Mike on LinkedIn. He, you just mm-hmm. look for his name, Mike Malatesta. And that Malatesta thing, it's just how you how it sounds. All of his uh, syllables, right? His syllables yeah. are just how they how they, how they sound. He's Great. also on Facebook and, of course, on Twitter. So if you go to his website, I bet all the little links are right there. So mm-hmm. go out and find him. Mike, it's been an absolute delight. It's dinner time. It's time for you to go have a beer, a brat worst in a
0: cheese curd. So oh, you got to right. go. She's going all Wisconsin on me. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for having <laughs> me on your show.
1: Yeah, it's been great to be with you. Have a great night. Thank you so okay. much for your time and energy.
0: Ready to build your vibrant culture? Bring Nicole Greer to speak to your leadership team, conference, or organization
1: to help them with her strategies, systems, and smarts to increase clarity, accountability, energy, and results. Your organization will get lit from within. Email
0: Nicole at NicoleGreer.com and be sure to check out Nicole's TEDx Talk at NicoleGreer.com.